You are listening to Beltway Beef, official commentary from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. My name is Ed Frank. I am NCBA's Senior Director of Policy Communications. Joining us this week is Bob Skinner. Bob is a fifth-generation rancher from Jordan Valley, Oregon, and the current president of the Public Lands Council. We've also got Tanner Beamer, who's the manager of government affairs for ESA and NEPA for NCBA and PLC. Bob, Tanner, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us, Ed. Thank you. All right, well, we had a, a, a an early start to the week here on Monday morning um, in Washington, D.C. We all went over to the Department of Interior, um, where the Secretary of the Interior uh, signed uh, some some new ESA regulations that will change the way that the act is, is implemented. Tanner, let's start with you. What exactly did Secretary Bernhardt sign this morning? Yeah, you bet. So this is the finalization of three draft rules that Interior put out last summer. Anyone that's heard me speak, uh, whether at NCBA or PLC, or state cattle association meetings throughout the course of the last year has heard me talked about these three rules and and how they will be very impactful to ranchers down on the ground. There is a lot of good stuff to unpack in these rulemakings, um, but the highlights are um, as follows. So the three rulemakings are uh, dealing with different sections of the ESA. Sections 4, which deals with listing and critical habitat. Section 4D, which deals with protections for species labeled as threatened. And then Section 7, which deals with interagency consultation. So just the highlights from each of those, uh, from Section 4, uh, there is a new mandate on both the National Marine Fishery Service and the Fish and Wildlife Service to prioritize habitat that is occupied when they are designating critical habitat. We've seen this in Louisiana. We've seen this all across the West where where, uh, unoccupied territory gets designated as critical habitat and the species isn't even found there. And as we all know, that has major property rights implications for landowners. And so we're excited that the services is putting that common sense right back in and saying that in order to designate something as critical habitat, it has to actually be currently occupied habitat by the species. Over to 4D. Uh, so 4D rules are what the services uh, implement when they are uh, determining how to treat a species that is listed as threatened instead of endangered. Currently, the practice is uh, the blanket 4D rule is what we call it, and that's what's in place right now. And that is all species that are uh, listed as threatened are treated as though they're endangered with all the protections that come along with it. Obviously, if you're going to have two tiers of protection, there ought to be some differences between those two. And so rolling black, the blanket 4D rule will allow the the services to really look at that species, make a determination, and create a rule that will fit that particular species instead of using a one-size-fits-all approach. And then on Section 7, there's a lot of minute changes and substantive changes that will really just streamline the process, make it so much easier for these, uh, these agencies to talk back and forth to each other, and will hopefully make it so that listing determinations and status reviews don't take the years and years that we have seen in the past. All right. Now, Bob, um, you were over at Interior with us this morning. What was your reaction to uh, the Secretary's signing of these new regulations? Oh, I think it's a long time coming, and especially coming from a state like Oregon, where we've got uh, salmon, sage-grouse, spotted owls. We've got the the whole list, and uh, certainly what Tanner said was absolutely right. I have uh, personally seen uh, streams that are not streams. There is no way they could be classified as habitat, but they are listed as potential habitat. Therefore, uh, uh, areas like the Blue Mountains in Oregon are suffering from that, and there's just uh, no reason in it. It was uh, something that was pushed through uh, by the special interest groups, and we've been suffering ever since. As far as what I saw this morning, I think it's been a long time coming. And I'd like to really thank our staff for uh, uh, 
engineering this thing and putting it together and getting it across the finish line. Yeah, and like you said, you've seen this firsthand. Um, you're out there on the front lines. Can you just talk a little bit about um, how ranchers are partners in species recovery? Because, you know, on the, we always hear the environmentalists talk about, um, you know, uh, the, the press coverage of this has been pretty predictable today as, as um, the environmental groups have gotten, you know, their their voices out there saying gloom and doom on, on endangered species. But you're out there on the front lines. Just talk a little bit about how ranchers um, are partners when it comes to species recovery. Well, let me be pretty specific here on sage grouse, which is the big word in Oregon right now, well, across the Great Basin and in the West. And uh, I'm old enough to remember when the sage grouse were just so thick that uh, they, were, they were just so numerous that you can't uh, believe it. But we had some things out there then at the time, like uh, 1080. Uh, peop there was indiscriminate use of poisons. Now, I don't think we should ever go back to that. But I think part of the problem was, and nobody's recognizing it formally, is that a spinoff of that is that the predators for the sage-grouse, namely the av avian predators, have increased, I've heard figures, up to 2,000%. And I'm specifically talking about uh, ravens. Uh, everybody in the biological section realizes that ravens are probably the biggest problem with sage-grouse. But uh, that is what's the consequences of this potential listing is that uh, the, the agencies don't have any way to look at, uh, at dealing with a species. What they look at is the habitat. And consequently, it gives the special interest groups a real opportunity to get a foothold and go after habitat and try to uh, make some changes as things like wilderness areas or monuments or something like that where they can get their uh, their special interests, you know, through uh, a land use plan, in a land use plan. And uh, it's just been a real hard thing to go through. And I uh, certainly want to compliment uh, the secretary, Secretary Bernhardt, for uh, pushing this through. And this administration has been a real joy to work with, and I, uh, I sure look forward to working with them in the future. Yeah, Tanner, speaking of that, um, <clears throat> can you just talk a little bit about the, the commitment that this administration has made on this? ESA modernization has um, you know, been, like as Bob said, a long time coming. Just talk a little bit about um, you know, what the administration and the folks over at Interior, how, how committed they have been to this process. Absolutely. I mean, this administration has really reaffirmed its commitment to rural America and making sure that these processes make sense from a bottom-up approach instead of the other way around. As we've seen repeatedly throughout the past, whether it's Endangered Species Act, whether it's NEPA, whether it's other land administration, those types of decisions that are made by bureaucrats in Washington instead of field operators and ranchers and stakeholders out on the ground, they, they're the ones locally that are able to make those decisions and adjust to conditions on the ground and they're the ones that really are the subject matter experts in all of these issues and this administration all across the board whether it's usda or doi or ceq they're all they've all shown a great commitment towards re-tipping that balance towards um, a balanced approach where federal partners and local local stakeholders are, are on somewhat of an even playing field uh, and we've it's it's been a, it's been a lot of fun to be a part of 
And then um, just one more question for you. I don't even think the ink was dry <laughs> on the signature. The, the secretary's signature wasn't even dry um, before the first lawsuits were, were being announced here. Can you talk about where we go from here and, and what the prospects look like from the legal standpoint? Right. So typically in a process like this, uh, the rules will become effective thirty day following 30 days of signatures. That has to make some time for an objection period, but that's kind of the standard operating procedure. However, since this is such a, a major uh, undertaking, uh, with a lot of strong opinions on the more radical fringe side of things. Yeah, we've already seen uh, tons of emails and just hair on fire reactions. I, I'm, I'm holding an email right now that the Center for Biological Diversity sent out to all of its members, and it says the subject line is Emergency Trump Guts Endangered Species Act. And it says Trump just ripped apart the Endangered Species Act, and the center will sue to stop him. We expect a a slew of lawsuits challenging this. However, you know, if you if you compare the regulations to the underlying statute, I think it holds water. I'm not an attorney, but there are several people who are a lot smarter than I am who have, have spent hours, countless hours, meeting with all the impacted stakeholders from all sides of the spectrum. And they have really done their due diligence at the department to make sure that these rules uh, will hold up in court. And you know what? We look forward to seeing them there because, you know, Bob mentioned the sage grouse earlier. One of the primary reasons that the sage grouse was found to be not warranted for listing is directly because of the conservation work that ranchers do on a daily basis. They are out there on the ground. I've said this a million times, and it, it is worth saying again. You know, It's because of their efforts that that species was found not warranted for listing. If we can have some more of those partnerships, um, then I, I think that we'll really start to see the act operate in the way that it was originally intended. All right, Bob and Tanner, congratulations. Great work. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Ed. You've been listening to Beltway Beef. Until next week, eat beef. Check us out online at policy.ncba.org and follow us on Twitter at, at Beltway Beef. Thanks for listening.